After the international kerfuffle of the preceding decade receded, normalcy has returned, and we return too to the snowy slopes of San Moritz. But there's something new in the air. Winter pentathlon! And I love a good pentathlon. And here it is, as a demonstration sports, in San Moritz. Cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, shooting, fencing, horse riding. It has it all. Sweden took a clean sweep, and I know nothing else about it. Welcome to the Winter Olympopod. say very often is that it allows us to jump from 1936 to 1948 in one very quick paragraph and it makes us look more industrious than we are. After the Japanese were stripped of the 1940s games, there was talk of the 1940 Winter Olympics being given to Samaritz, but the organisers in Switzerland wanted ski instructors to be labelled as professionals, which if you remember from the last Olympopod is what the IOC reportedly said back in 1936 but now the IOC are saying no they're amateurs so both the IOC and Switzerland flounced off in a huff. Italy were then to host it in 1944 but there was a lot going on in 1944 so that didn't happen either and now here we are in Samaritz again for 1948. What? We're back we're back. I thought we were going to be in Newcastle. Yeah you speculated but no uh, Newcastle gave a strong bid but no <laughs> Switzerland it was considered neutral uh, they were thought to be the best choice after you know uh, but there was still quite a lot of political fraughtness nonetheless as I suppose you would expect um, Japan and Germany were barred from competing Lebanon were to become the first Arab nation to send a team to the Winter Games but with a month to go they threatened to boycott if Palestine were to compete under the Zionist flag. They argued that Palestine wasn't a nation and therefore couldn't be allowed to compete at all. Therefore shouldn't be allowed to compete at all. There didn't seem like there was going to be a satisfactory resolution to this, so it resolved very unsatisfactorily with Palestine withdrawing, saying they didn't have enough time to prepare. You'll recall a month's time away. Anyway, so they withdrew. Not very satisfactory. But there was more because Norway and Yugoslavia also started a bit of friction. They weren't satisfied with the ban on Germany and Japan and wanted all of the athletes to be pre-screened for any Nazi sympathies or involvement. And in particular, the Austrian team, which included three former soldiers. The International Ski Federation were able to calm things down, though, when they seemingly brought forward evidence to show that these particular three individuals had been involuntarily enlisted. That's all the politics out of the way, because this is going to be a great Olympics. The opening day of the events were described by the United Press as being the wildest day in international sporting history. 
And that's Here a good start. fucking go. Yeah, that's a good start, Chris. We like those sort of proclamations. Oh. Um, among the things listed as having happened on the opening day, well, first of all, it turned out that three of the American bobsleds had been tampered with overnight. The culprit never caught. And it resulted in Team USA placing guards over all the equipment for the rest of the games. Also, the American flag disappeared and a replacement had to be found at the last minute before the opening ceremony. And then, a sort of best of all, and I'm sure you'll want to talk about this because it involves our old friend Avery Brundage, two ice hockey teams arrived in San Moritz, each claiming to be the American team. <laughs> and I'd like, Chris, if you will, to let me read from the famed historical dictionary of the Olympic movement. Oh, please. Combine the US hockey dispute with a Canadian-Swedish fistfight, speed skating rules protests, allegations of hotel price gouging, and the accidental shooting of a Swiss policeman by a competitor in the winter pentathlon, and it is clear that the games were neither peaceful nor filled with much goodwill. <laughs> and Chris, oh, also, dear. it wasn't just the American flag that got stolen because over the course of the event, someone also stole the uh, IOC flag. Like flag. This sounds like a good Olympics, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, flags are the least of our worries at this point. Should we start with the ice hockey? Yeah, go for because, it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the fact that. On this, after this opening day of the Olympics, uh, you gave one headline there. Another one I've seen from the New York Times was sabotage, fistfights, and continued disputes peril Winter Olympics future. And after just one day of the Games, the cancellation of the entire Winter Olympics was a possibility because of this whole debacle around the uh around the two american teams <laughs> right so it's, it's just such a good story and like I, i'm letting you take the the lead on this chris but it's just you know and I'm, I'm sure you'll get into it as to how it happened but to actually send two teams from like quite far away <laughs> yeah to arrive at the same time and for them both to be going we're team usa hmm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll try and give some of the ground, mm. uh, the background to this, right? Yeah. Or the basics in this whole thing. So the Americans sent over two ice hockey teams. One was representing the U.S. Olympic Committee, so the USOC, and one was representing the American Hockey Association of the United States, the AHA US, the A House, and the USOC. Okay. Mm-hmm. A house team was affiliated with the International Ice Hockey Federation, so the world governing body, but not the U.S. Olympic Committee. The International Ice Hockey Federation accepted A house despite the protests of the International Olympic Committee. The U.S. Olympic Committee Committee President Avery Brundage declared that if the A house team was approved that the entire United States team would withdraw. The IOC then said, neither team can compete. (laughs) This was then overruled by the Swiss Organizing Committee, which accepted the A-House entry. 
So the A-House team played in the tournament and finished in fourth place, but was then disqualified by the International Olympic Committee and their finish declared as void. So the rest of the US athletes did not withdraw, as Brundage had promised would happen. And even though it was only the A-House players who competed, the US Olympic Committee does not actually carry their names on the database of Olympians nowadays, but does carry the names of the US Olympic Committee team that didn't play a single second on the ice. <laughs> it's good that it's good that we can all move on from these things, you know. <laughs> right, and uh, on the first day of competition, the A House team were playing against Switzerland, <laughs> and were being booed by about two hundred Americans in the crowd, including the other American <laughs> ice hockey team. <laughs> I mean, how petty can you get? Oh God, Chris, this is good Olympics. <laughs> we've been and- <laughs> waiting. We've been waiting for this Winter Olympics. You know, like this. This yeah. has been what we've needed. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, it was basically the the, the World Ice Hockey Federation, which uh, was known at the time as the. Uh, League International Hockey Sur Glass um, was, uh, they were the ones who made the final decision as who was going to play. And the International Olympic Committee were so pissed off with that that they decided that <laughs> the hockey competition could no longer be recognized as an Olympic event. <laughs> and that the, the International Federation was no longer qualified to represent world amateur hockey. <laughs> In the end, the event was accepted but yeah this got to a stage where after the first day of competition uh there were like crisis talks about the whole winter olympics being cancelled thank god it wasn't <laughs> mm. and after all that as i said the team only finished in fourth place uh out of nine teams uh canada won eight out of their uh or played eight matches sorry they won seven and uh, drew against czechoslovakia Czechoslovakia also won all of their games, which meant the teams uh, finished on level records with seven wins and a draw each. So the gold medal was decided by Avery Brundage. No, by goal difference. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Canada had a goal difference of plus 64. Czechoslovakia plus 62. And so Canada got the gold medal. Okay. But yeah, oh, we're off to a shaky start <laughs> after day one. Yeah, and also just to really set the scene, it was stated that this hockey tournament was played in ridiculous weather conditions with poor yeah. refereeing. <laughs> um, I, I love that, you know, the fact that there was a free-for-all brawl between the Swedes and the Canadians. It was just It's just like secondary news in this opening day. Yeah, and, and, and also like... This was during the ice hockey, was it? This brawl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do sort of feel that, is that not kind of part and parcel of the sport? Yeah. You know? It's, it's, like, it's, it's like saying, oh, did you hear somebody uh, drowned in the water polo? Like, okay. This happens. It happens. Like, it's the sport, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also, you heavily mentioned... Uh, the tampering of the bobsleigh. So I think that's a natural progression. Yeah. Well, I, I so I don't have that much. I, I don't have that much information on the tampering, but I do have three of my favorite characters from the bobsleigh. 
Okay, before you go into the characters then, can I give you... Uh, so uh, apparently there was uh, there was a re- that the reason for the tampering actually was revealed. Uh, it, it feels like a bit of an anticlimax because, yeah, apparently they'd been sabotaged, which is not the first time that was suggested yeah. or even happened in bobsleighing. And um, it was the steering wheels that were damaged on the US sleds. And as the news broke... Um, a truck driver stepped forward and admitted to having accidentally backed into the shed housing the bobsleds. <laughs> so that was the reason in yeah. the end, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Not and apparently. also, a- again, going to the like, it's just the sport. What is bobsled if not a little bit of tampering Precisely. among enemies, you know? So, I, yeah. But yeah, so in the bobsleigh, in the two-man, it was once again Switzerland two taking gold and Switzerland one taking silver. It's becoming a pattern. Emerging as as my surprise like favorite teams in world sports, Switzerland two. Switzerland two, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be following <laughs> Switzerland two in the bobsleigh at these coming games. I can't wait to see what they've got. <laughs> I hope they've qualified two bobs. Yeah. I hope they've qualified two bobs. I hope so too. I hope so too. Team USA took a gold and a bronze in the four-man, despite all this supposed tampering. Uh, but I do like this fact about the gold medalist, uh, Francis Tyler, who became famous for lighting up a cigarette at the bottom of the course after every run. He became a spokesperson for Camel Cigarettes and died prematurely eight years later of a heart attack. By the way... Eight, yeah. eight years later, it's not bad. He 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 was forty three when he won this gold. Fifty one is still premature, Chris. Hey, yeah, I know. Like, but it's the f- <laughs> it's the fifties. You know what? You yeah, know? it's the fifties, and also I suppose reaching your fifties as a bobsledder is probably good going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. And uh, I mean, uh, another thing on on his team, we've gone away from hell and Satan and all this biblical Nonsense. stuff. Uh, their bob was called uh, the Snowbirds. <laughs> Bobby McBobface. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So anyway, the silver medalists in that event were Belgium. Max Huben would also die prematurely the next year. Mm. Uh, from what, Chris? A crash. Uh, st- sorry. A spill. A spill, yeah. It a was a spill. spill. A horrible, horrible spill during a two-man practice run at the 1949 Lake Placid FIBT Championships. They spilled off what is known as Shady Corner. Uh, he was killed instantly and his teammate, both then and in 1948, Jacques Mouvet, survived, though with a broken back and a fractured skull. So that's what we call the deadly uh, bobsled run. It's... it's continues um the only other person then that i want to mention i said three the holy trinity i want to uh, mention in the bobsay yeah. is the team usa's two-man silver medalist the fantastically named frederick fortune who after the 1948 games went back to his vague career as a contractor and who built north pole new york and north pole colorado santa claus villages oh. and and Chris, I've had a Google. <laughs> they look okay. Uh, though in 2021, the Santa Claus workshop in North Pole, New York, had to end its, and I stress, summer season early due to staff shortages. The fortunes oh. running out. Not too bad. 
Yeah. Can I go back to Huben just momentarily? Go back because to Huben. Despite his um, devastation, yeah, yeah, tragic death. Um, he managed to get the silver at the age of forty-nine, mm. which is incredibly impressive. But he's had this really distinguished sporting life before that as well. So this is nineteen forty-eight. Back in nineteen twenty, he won the Belgian title in the one hundred meters in running and sprinting and competed at the olympics that year in 1920 which was in belgium mm-hmm. uh, in the 200 meters and the 4 by 100 meters he also played football at the top uh, belgian league uh, playing for his second club which he won the league with in 1933 was called union saint gilloise uh, he also competed in tennis and auto racing. But an interesting thing about when I saw Union Saint Gilloise is that that name amazingly has popped into my conscience recently because that club, <coughs> who were Belgium's top team for 10 to 20 years in the 20s and 30s, kind of fell off the map. And then this year, we're promoted to the Belgian top division for the first time in, I think, almost 50 years. <clears throat> so going from the second division to the first division and are top of the first division and look likely to win it in like one of these amazing stories. And uh, I, yeah, that uh, if not for that, I would not have uh, recognized Union saint Gilwaz, which uh, Max Huben played for. But yeah, so football player. Uh, Olympic athlete in the Summer Games, won silver at the age of 49. A year later, died doing one of his many favorite sports. Yeah, I mean, we talked about suicide, Freddie, last week. It does go to show that this is not a safe sport. No, particularly not in the 40s. (laughs) No, of course, suicide, Freddie, he had a different end. But yeah, you know, it's not not a safe uh, pastime. And we haven't even gotten to the skeleton yet. Yeah, tell me about. I'm delighted the skeleton's here. Uh, but it was, it was, it was. What was it called? It was called Costa. Oh, the no, run. Yeah, but it, it, even at this event, it wasn't called the skeleton. Oh, was it not? No. Oh, is that because it was? That... It was originally called the sports was called the Cresta. Ah, oh, I thought that was the name of the course. Yeah, it was, but I think Cresta Run was called <coughs> that because that's where you run the Cresta. Right, because that's the only the only place it, they actually did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because this was the first time uh, Skeleton or the Cresta Run took took place in the uh, Winter Olympics in twenty years since the last time we were in Saint Moritz, and it wouldn't appear again until two thousand and two, which was Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe they just nobody else was, was nuts mad enough, enough. <laughs> <laughs> to have a skeleton run or a cresta run. And um, Jack Heaton was uh, one of the main contenders for it. He was a silver medalist twenty years prior, now age thirty nine, and he managed to get silver again mm. twenty years apart, yeah. which I think is qu- pretty incredible. And um, the person who uh, won gold, though, was a man representing Italy, Nino Bibia. And uh, Bibia was uh, actually a guy who lived in St. Moritz. And he'd seen the 1928 Winter Olympics as a young boy and uh, was inspired by it. 
He was originally selected for the Italian bobsleigh teams, but entered the skeleton shortly before the games and then went on to win gold. He was the first um, first Italian winter Olympic champion. That was his first win on the Cresta run to win a gold medal. He'd go on to win uh, 230 more races on that run. I'm looking, I'm looking at all the, so there was 15 competitors. They're all quite, they're, they're all senior athletes. Um, a lot of them in their 40s. You know, there you go. They they'd survived this far, and they said, "You know what I need to do? I need to get onto a very uh, shaky toboggan." Yeah, and... Survived two world wars. Yeah. Now time to go on the crest of the run. Yeah. Um, person who came thirteenth, uh, William Hirogen. Definitely not how you pronounce his name, but he was from France. He in nineteen forty seven in San Moritz he got a bronze for the foreman Bob said, but he was also a hooker in the Five Nations. He represented mm-hmm. France in the rugby. There you go. We do love our multi-talented athletes. We do, we do. But yeah, going through the other fifteen, um, they were they were all fairly senior, and it, there seems to be a pattern of the thing that they did of no, of Wikipedia noteworthiness is that they competed in the skeleton, and that was it. <laughs> but that's pretty. That's pretty noteworthy. Pretty noteworthy. Disappointing then that uh, it would take so long for us to see this back in it. But when the Olympics were in Turin, uh, the turn 10 for the bobsled luge and skeleton is named after Bibia. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Are you suggesting, though, that literally anyone who was brave and or stupid enough (laughs) to do it could do it? No. <laughs> I'm, just, well. I'm just saying it just seems to be the thing that they did and uh, then their Wikipedia page says death date unknown. Um, yeah. <laughs> Probably because they were lost after taking a spill and ended up in the forest somewhere. Yeah. Uh, there yeah. was, uh, I, I saw the official film, or at least parts of this official film. It kind of pissed me off, the official no, film. No, Chris. It did, uh, mostly because of the narration. And I mean, at first I was quite excited because this is the first one of the Winter uh, Olympic official films with narration. And it was an American guy. He was fine. But then they had these bits in it. First of all, a random supposed uh, journalist pops up, a financial or international politics journalist pops up and starts asking him questions about the cross-country skiing as if he's just some kind of annoying journalist and the guy's like you know leave me be i'm trying to accommodate on the thing here here's number 18 i told you so and he's like uh so what is this uh, but i thought you said he finished first they don't all go at the same time blah 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 uh. and then during the speed skating his supposed wife shows up as he's sorry, sorry, describing his supposed wife like what was yes. like, what are you inferring these are all actors or voiceover artists i don't this isn't happening in real time this isn't right? <laughs> imagine if it was just randomly his wife appears in the commentary booth <laughs> and you know he's saying uh, this is speed skating so there's two people going around one in black and one in white and uh, 
she shows up and says, oh, the guy in black looks very smart. Uh, would you buy me a black sweater? <laughs> what, what is this? What is this? And so I get really frustrated. I, I skip ahead a little you bit. Might, you might have missed some more great discourse. Oh, oh, I, I heard enough discourse. But then, uh, somewhere between where I left off and went back into it again, as they're showing the skeleton... He's making references to the foreign politics journalist and his wife disappearing somewhere together. <laughs> and he's like, now where's, now where's my wife gone with that foreign, that international politics correspondent? And I was just like, what? He's still hanging on to this bit. So I'm going to be honest, didn't watch it all. Uh, might do it at some point, but... It wasn't helping uh, the research, I could tell you that much. I'm, I'm really concerned that our email is going to be full of like people going, did you not know Arsh? Did you not know who that was? Don't but. care. Don't <laughs> care. Um, but what I did learn from that was as they were building or setting up the skeleton course, the uh, Crest the Run, Crest the Run, right? That's what mm-hmm. it's called. And, I mean, it looks like it's ready for spills. Um, <laughs> they're building the walls with, like, they're, yeah, just, like, packing snow together, putting cold water on top, and they're like, this is supposed to stop people from flying into the yeah. woods. Uh, really, really dodgy. The narrator then goes on to explain that everyone who <laughs> goes off on a certain corner... Sorry, everyone who goes off in a certain corner of the track, they have a club, and every year they meet for dinner to talk about their spills. So this is uh, this is the situation we're at, and does also give a different insight into these kind of people, these people who were t- partaking uh, at their age. It was a very niche group of people willing and able to do the skeleton at yeah, that time. Yeah, you have to have a death wish. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Sherlock. Um, from one group of madmen to another. The so-called madman of downhill, Francis Henri Oyer, won golds in, of course, the downhill event and the combined, and also took a bronze in the slalom. But he missed out, it doesn't say of which, one of his medal ceremonies, because he was occupied at the time playing the accordion at a tavern. And had to collect it a week later. <laughs> yes. Good old Apreski. <laughs> um, he was also known as the Acrobat. He had been part of an elite winter combat division during the French Resistance. Um, but the night before the downhill event, he said it was a waste of the other competitors' time to even take part because he was oh. just too good. Uh, but though that morning, Shock horror, his lucky red skis were missing. <gasps> they were eventually found in time on the roof of an American athlete's car who claimed he took the distinctive skis mistakenly. Ah. Uh, what's becoming a bit of a, I suppose, um, <laughs> bit of a habit amongst these people. Uh, he retired after a disappointing 1952 games to become a professional racing driver, but died in a motor race 10 years later. But that could be 
That can be a quiz we can do when we've done all of the winter games. It's like, how did they die? <laughs> oh, we do know how to bring down the tone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not helping with the... <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, it, it's just it's just a fact, isn't it? If you live fast... You just died, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Live fast, die young. Yeah. Not sure he was that young, but yeah, yeah. Thirty six when he died. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Retired at the grand old age of twenty six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose if the preceding Olympics, you tell everyone that they're losers, and uh, there's no point in even turning up. If at the next Olympics you don't have a great one, kind of hard yeah, to come true. away from that like there's no amount of accordion playing that's gonna drown out that sound of the people going loser it's a okay. lesson to us all isn't it yeah have a bit of hubris exactly um i mean we've gotten this far without talking about winter pentathlon ruth um oh, that shocked. was i i i mean i literally gave all the information i had <laughs> in the intro um I just thought it was very Olympopody for that to be the only information I had, and it's brilliant. Just that it, just that it took place. Yeah. Because I do love a pentathlon. We've talked about it quite a bit, Chris. So as I said, there was cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, shooting, fencing, horse riding, and I'm. It's unfortunate that it didn't. It wasn't part of the film, was it? Not that I saw. No, because like I would have liked to have known. Was the horse riding snowy? I mean, that's that's what I think. I mean, we we have seen uh, horses running on ice and mm. and racing, uh, chariot racing on ice and snow. So maybe, but everything suggested that like the cross country skiing and the downhill skiing were the only kind of typical winter sports. Yeah, and so. Uh, and that the fencing, the shooting, and the horse jumping were just like bo- borrowed uh, from the modern pentathlon. So I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe not. And, and uh, as as I did say, a Swiss policeman accidentally got shot during it. That, yeah, that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Don't let. Well, I was going to say don't let skiers have guns, but actually, the biathlon is one of the best. It is uh, one of the best sports. But but. Only I, let some of them have guns. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny you should say that because when I was reading up about the military patrol, it did say that only some of them were allowed to have guns. <laughs> I mean, how is that still? Uh, it's like, it's a demonstration sport in every Winter Olympic. Yeah. Because they don't have the biathlon yet. So, yeah. you know, they need, they need to have something shooty. But I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, beggars can't be choosers here. It's not like they're inundated with sports just allow it to be and you know this is i think this is the first winter olympics without any kind of stock or stone schießen no curling no ice stock schießen what's uh it's uh it's sad and we're gonna have to wait a while yeah. uh, to appear in in the proper olympics um but six of the 14 competitors in the winter pentathlon uh, were basically just other pentathletes uh, and they did come back to compete in another Olympic sport. The runner-up, for example, Willy Grutt, uh, later in 1948, won the actual modern pentathlon in London. Okay. 
So, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, play to Willy or Villa. Villa Grut, I think, is uh, probably more like it. Yeah, a Swedish, isn't he? Villa Grut. So, twenty twenty six. If we were to bring in the winter pentathlon, what would you like to see? Oh, well, you have we to have, have the, the two skiing. You have to have the two skiing. There has we to be have a cross country. Yeah, I, I, Chris. Yeah. There's only two things in that. I want five yeah. things. <laughs> so, oh wait, so you're saying the biathlon is two of them? Yeah, no, well, you know how in modern pentathlon now, yeah. the There's running no eight and the ten. shooting yeah. is basically the one is one thing, right, yeah. at the end. So that can be it at yeah. the end, but I wouldn't say that that counts for the actual skiing part. No, there, was, um, there should be one cross-country skiing. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So cross country, I mean, you could do a bunch of the. You don't have too much skiing though. So nope. alpine, no. Cross country, yes. Biathlon, yes. Okay. Um, I we mentioned it in the last one. I would like to see how far they can throw a rock over ice. Okay, so distance ice stock schießen. Yeah. And you know, then we have to put in a bit of like. I would love to see skeleton or luge in there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you have to and, do it. And, and what you can do to kind of keep to the uh, essence of the pentathlon, you can have maybe like 10 or 20 toboggans of various um, abilities that you get randomly assigned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have 30 minutes to try and tame yeah. it. And then you go down that hill. Oh, the Germans won't be happy about that at all. They'll be punching their yeah. toboggans. I'll be punching their toboggans. And then, you know what? How about some ice water swimming? So now we've got six, because like biathlon, does that not take up two? No, I would make that one. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. I, I, look, I... Because the shooting, I mean, the shooting and... I mean, yes, bi is two. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, okay, do you know what, Chris, there's no reason... Ruth, we're in charge here. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's no reason why this can't be a winter sextathlon. Sextathlon, yeah. Let's do it. So ice, um, ice swimming. Ice swimming. So you dive in through yeah. a hole and you have to emerge through the other hole. <laughs> so okay, that that's... it would just be like, it would be like tension. So, yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> I, so, I, you know, look, uh, who, is this, who am I to say that that sounds too dangerous? Oh, incredible. But, <laughs> um, I don't know if like that will fly in 2026, but... Um, yeah. If not, just a swimming pool full of like big boulders of ice. Yeah. Or speed skating. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Chris. I feel like I feel like you're not taking this seriously. I, I think uh, speed skating could be kind of hilarious. Uh, yeah. When you're or figure skating. Now I, that was the first thing in my mind, but then I was like, actually, contrary to what you just said, I was like, no, Chris, let's be serious here. Yeah. No, I I like I like our biathlon, cross country, skeleton. Ice swimming. We don't know what that is yet, but we'll we'll think about it. Just we'll really consult. cold water, okay? Yeah, they don't we'll, have they don't have to be submerged under the ice, okay? Or Fine. do you know, or do, do you know like when people take ice baths? Let's, let's see who can last the longest in an ice bath. Uh, that would definitely lead to some kind of failure of vital organs because it's oh, competitive. Fine, fine, but anyway, and then also the throwing a rock as far as you can. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I think we'll. Uh, if this doesn't Submit get that. our Olympic Marish Award, I don't know what will. <laughs> nice callback. <laughs> uh, so, 
<laughs> oh, lordy. So, ski jumping. I can talk a little bit about Tell me um, about it. The Norwegians, of was course, it the swept same, it. Was it the same jump as we had in 24? Uh, you know what? I think it was the Olympia Schanze. Uh, was the... Uh, yeah, it was built in 1927 for the 28 games and that's, that, remained... That's 1928. I'll just edit that back in so that we all remember that. I remember all the Olympics. Yes. 19... 19- 1928. 1928. What did <laughs> you say before? <laughs> Said different. 1928. Okay. It was built in 1927 for the 28 games and remained in use until 2006. And yeah, so the Olympia Schanze was the place to be for the ski jumping and the Norwegians swept it again. I mentioned in an earlier pod that the Rude family mm-hmm. were the kings of the hills and Birger Rud, who had won the gold medal in both 1932 and 1936. Uh, you'd think now that after a 12-year hiatus that he'd be fairly old, and you'd be right in thinking so, 36 years old at the time. And in, in 1943, during the German occupation of Norway, uh, Rud was actually incarcerated at the Grini concentration camp uh, for expressing his anti-Nazi sentiments. After his release in 1944, he joined the Norwegian resistance movement. And at the 1948 Games, then he was uh, going there as a coach. However, when he arrived at the Games, he decided, you know what? (laughs) I can take on these guys. So he decided to come out of retirement and compete one last time, despite not having competed for several years. And uh, so he managed to finish in second place and get the silver medal in what was a Norwegian sweep. All three medals went to them. Uh, and didn't he beat didn't he beat his like the person he was coaching? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah, yeah, he was the assistant coach of the team. And uh, a Norwegian uh finished in third place, so he beat him. He also beat his younger brother ah. <laughs> Asbjorn, who had finished in seventh place. So uh yeah, it was uh Petter Hugstedt who won gold and Birgerud in silver. And Chris, I just want to say, in the last pod, we we uh, gave Sonia Henny a bit of a pass card saying she was just an opportunist. But here was a man who uh, stood by his principles and yep. came back in 48 and got silver. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's very, he went down a very different path. Yep. And uh, fair play to him. What a hero. Probably uh, a going fewer films, that. but... Yeah, I mean, that, that deserves a film. Yeah. That is, I mean, what a sports film that is. Being part of this sporting family. Yeah. Two-time champion, concentration camp, resistance movement, going as a coach, coming out of retirement for one last go and getting a medal. It's amazing. Make it I, happen. I suppose falling or jumping off a hill is something you never, it's like riding a bike. You never lose uh, the skill, the knowledge. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't. I, I can't believe we've had an Eddie the Eagle film, I and mean, this hasn't been made into a film. I'm actually. I mean, it's only crossed my mind, but it's a disgrace. Do you want to set up a GoFundMe and we'll yeah, I'm do, gonna, that, I'm gonna, do that in our spare time? You know, we haven't become popular enough among the Norwegians. We should make this. We should fix this, and then we'll get a grand swell of support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, though Fiddle. we bad-mouthed a couple of Norwegians, but yeah, yeah, no, no, that's not. Oh. Did you uh, find a film? Birger Rude and live in the ski legend. Shit. 
Would you like me to wait the next 90 minutes while you watch that? And, it's uh, a documentary. Ah, uh, no, no, no. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Not so, the same. Yeah. I love this. Um, <laughs> so the stars of it, it's all archive footage, of course. Stars. Uh, this is on IMDb. Birger Root, of course. Harold Wrighton. And King Olaf V. <laughs> As self. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, that's not the same. Documentary, that's not of, the course, same. of course. The Norwegians have done a documentary, right? Yeah. But we need a Hollywood film. So, look, if every listener sends us in a fiver, um, not saying it's going towards the movie, but, you know, it could make us more motivated to ask you for more money and then make the movie. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. And yeah, just like the Norwegians, please, you know, make sure that we're, you know, Denmark already did it. Denmark are our current number one fans, but this, we're very fickle. Hey, <laughs> Noria. Do, so. no, do you don't want to continue with that? No, that was, that was all I had to say. Okay. Very good. Very hey, Noria. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Do you know what? Just since we're on the subject of ski jumping, uh, I was watching it recently and I mean, it is mad. I love it. It's one of my favourite events. I think the people who do ski jumping in the summer, I mean, any of the winter sports, because all of the winter sports have summer variations mm. of them just flinging themselves towards concrete. And um, yeah, fair play. It's not concrete. It's... Astroturf. <laughs> let's not let's not let's not make it sound completely ludicrous, Ruth. It's a- flinging yourself a hundred meters in the air on two skis. Is isn't isn't the winter or sorry the summer like bobsleds essentially, China? Oh yeah. I'm I, to be honest, I've never seen summer bobsled, uh, and I think I'd rather not. Maybe yeah. Well, anyway, should look. Sure, look. Um, another thing I saw in the film uh, on the... Before you switch showing, it off. Like, the, yeah, uh, the construction and the venues was the... Um, they were talking about the figure skating rink. Yeah. And <laughs> saying about how, like, precise and perfect it has to be. It has uh-huh. to be like a mirror image for the athletes. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> which is quite interesting, seeing as earlier... I had read about the fact that they played ice hockey yep. on the figure skating rink to completely destroy the actual competition. Yeah, so in the, the figure skating, Barbara and Scott became Canada's first and amazingly only gold medalist in women's singles uh, figure skating. But as you said, it was used for ice hockey the day before, which meant when it came to her routine, the rink was practically unusable. But she wowed the judges in being able to adjust her routine around the potholes. Um, she also <laughs> she also had to contend with a low-flying plane that flew over her. But yeah, she went and she got gold. Isn't that amazing that Canada doesn't have any other golds in single figure skating for women? I guess it, it's one of those sports where it became like hyper-international. Yeah. One of the few ones because you do have like a good spread of nations, even at this point. Mm. I mean, <laughs> we're looking at this uh, in 1948. So you had Barbara and Scott, you had Canada win a gold, USA won a gold, Belgium won the pairs gold, and then the silver medalists, Switzerland, Austria, Hungary, 
And then bronzes were Austria again, again, Great Britain and Canada. So that's seven different nations winning the nine medals, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a surprise they haven't managed it yet, but I guess it is one of those, uh, one of the sports in the winter games that did get properly global, Uh, global as so far as to say uh, the Western world. Yeah. (laughs) But a nice thing about Barbara Ann Scott, um, as well as becoming a very accomplished equestrianist, she was one of the carriers of the Olympic flag at the opening ceremony of the 2010 Vancouver Games. Mm. Yeah. Nice. As well, she should be. Yes. Okay. What else have we got? <laughs> I think we've gone through everything. We have, and it's such it's such an eventful games, and we've sped through it. How, did we? How, yeah, I don't know, Chris. Do I need to go onto Wikipedia? <laughs> no, I think we've done we've done plenty here. <coughs> so we have okay. we, we've we've made a bit of a uh, in between recording the last pod and this pod. <laughs> we've made a shockingly ambitious claim that we're going to try and get out eight Winter Olympics before the twenty twenty two. Yeah, before the fourth of February. Yeah, uh, which gives us. A month to do three. And you know, so what if I'm going to work at a major international sporting event between that date and this date? Some things are more important. For example, the Olympopod. Yeah, precisely. Who needs money? (laughs) So, that means... But all our listeners are going to send us in a fiver. Exactly. Bingo. And it's funny that uh, we say we're going to spread ourselves out to the Norwegian audience because you know what's next, Ruth? Chris. It's Oslo 1952. Hey! We're going to Norway. And you know what? It's been, you know, the wait has been too long. For Norway, they've been the dominant force in the Winter Olympics. And it's great to actually go to their hometown and uh, to see how they get on and see how they put on this uh, this championship. And you know what is going to be in it as a demonstration sport? Don't tease me. <laughs> You'll find out next week. <laughs> it's not curling. No! <laughs>